love what Abby said about and how we sang um, how he is inside of us. It never gets old. He is inside of us. We were sharing that in the class this morning about how the revelation of just the fact that Jesus himself is inside the believer changes everything. It's just amazing, amazing, amazing. That one revelation, if the church could really see and, and believe that, would change so much of the wrong teaching that's out there, the wrong thinking that's out there, if we just really saw that for 24-7, Jesus himself is literally inside my body. The Holy Spirit inside my body. Paul says, no, you not. Your body has become the temple of the Holy Presence, the Holy Spirit. Awesome reality. It's the crowning work of what Jesus did. His crowning work was now we are in union with him. Man and God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, and his awesome work has brought us into vital union with God. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Awesome. Paul got that revelation on the road to Damascus when Jesus revealed himself to him and he said, from the glorious, from the heavens with the light shining around him, Paul said he heard the Lord speak to him and and said, why do you persecute me, Paul? Every time Paul would persecute a saint, he was persecuting Jesus because Jesus saw his sons and daughters one with himself. Awesome. Why do you persecute me, Paul? The reality of our union with him is everything. Everything. I just wanted to share a few thoughts about walking in the Spirit. Last Sunday, we talked about what it means to live in the Spirit. Shared some thoughts about that. Paul says in Galatians 5, 25, that... Since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So it's like two different things. And like we talked about, we really need to understand as believers what it means to live in the Spirit before we can even begin to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. And we talked last Sunday, just a quick summary of what um, what we talked about. Living in the Spirit has to do with this union with Christ. It has to do with this awesome love that has come to us, that the Father has literally brought us into himself. The Son was in the bosom of the Father, the Scripture says, and he came from the bosom of the Father to reveal the Father to us. And now, through the work of Christ in taking away our sin on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, by simple faith in what Jesus did, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is given to man. And in that transaction, we are literally joined to Christ, the Son himself. And the Spirit of the Son in us cries out, Abba, Papa, Father. And then Paul says, because of this great mystery of our own death and our own resurrection in Christ, that we are now alive in Christ and our life is hidden with Christ inside the Father. So, This awesome work where the Son was in the Father, in the bosom of the Father, and was revealed and manifested to us, 
Now we, too, have been brought back to heaven, so to speak. We now, Paul said, sit together with Jesus in heavenly places. We now sit with him. We now are joined to him. And Paul says in Colossians, our life is now hidden with Christ in sight of God. So that something awesome has happened. Paul says we have been called into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. What is that, the fellowship of the Father and the Son? It is this awesome love between Father and Son. And now we've been called into that same fellowship as Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, I pray that I may be in them and that your love may be in them, that they may know that the love you have for me, you have for them also. Awesome. John 17, that the Father loves you and me as much as he loves his only begotten son. Awesome. So we've been brought into that fellowship, that union, that place of, of life. And that's where we live now. That's, that's who you are. It's a state of being. It's not something that you, you and I have earned. It's not something that we have to work to maintain. It's a state of being. We went from death to life. Scripture says that he raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. It's an act of creation. We've been created new in Christ Jesus created new. It's an act of creation. After his image, we've been created new. Okay, so without re-preaching everything we said last Sunday, I just want to go with some thoughts about knowing that, knowing what it means to be alive in the Spirit or to live in the Spirit or to have this union with Christ. How do we walk in the Spirit? What does that mean? And the way I look at it is walking in the Spirit is really a reference to a manifestation of what is. What is, is living in the Spirit or being joined to Christ, but walking is a manifestation. It's, it's, as Paul said in the Philippian letter, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. And just a quick footnote on that verse, so there's no fear and trembling in the room. <laughs> that verse has been used to preach that that means that, you know, work out this salvation because God's watching you with a club over your head to hit you with it if you don't work it out. Um, the Greek word fear and trembling there is the same Greek word Paul uses in the Corinthian letter when he says, I came to the Corinthians with no confidence in myself, as, not as a great speaker, not with great wisdom of men, but I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit so your faith would not be in men but in God. So what the Greek word means, he says, I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling. That's what he said in the Corinthian letter. I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling. The same Greek word. What it means in the Greek is that I came to you with no confidence in my flesh. No confidence in myself. But only in the Spirit of God. Only in the Holy Spirit to convince you. Only in the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. Same word used in the Philippian letter when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, or work out your salvation with no confidence in yourself, for it is God, next verse, for it is God who is at work, not you, for it is God who is at work, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? So that verse, that's what it means. Don't let some preacher tell you that means you better be afraid that you, you know, you better get this right. That's not what that's about. What that's about is having no confidence in yourself to pull it off. 
And it says work out. Paul says work out your salvation because he's not saying work for it. He's saying what is inside you, let it come out. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He said he was the light of the world, but now we are the light of the world, he said, because he would be inside of us. So you already have the light. That's what is. You are the light. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what is. Now let's let what is be seen or manifested or walk it out. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Isn't that awesome? It's so simple. It's so beautiful. It's like we, we have no confidence in ourselves to work this out or to make it manifest because it is God who is at work in me mysteriously, both to will it and to do it according to his good pleasure. So this walking in the spirit is a rest. It is a rest. It begins with the revelation of union. It begins with this understanding of this rest we have in him. As the scripture says in Hebrews 4, he who has entered his rest has ceased from his own works, even as God did cease from his own works when he entered his rest on the Sabbath day, a picture of the finished work of Christ. For Christ himself is the true Sabbath rest, Hebrews says. We cease our own works of trying to be righteous because we receive the righteousness of God as a gift. So let's talk a little bit about this walking in the Spirit. What's cool about walking in the Spirit is this is really, it's so simple. It's more simple than we ever dreamed. But it's very profound. It's very profound. But it's very simple. Religion has made it very complicated and not simple at all. Think about this, saints. Paul says that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Awesome statement. I mean, think about that. I mean, okay, what's the answer to sin in my life? I want to get free of sin. I don't want to walk in the flesh. I don't want to be uh, a sinful person anymore. I don't want to do these things that I hate. I'm a new creation. I have a new DNA in me. I have uh, the divine nature is in me. I have a new heart. I have these new desires. I I I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. I don't want to be like that old person I used to be. How can I do that? And Paul says it in one simple statement, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pretty cool. Very simple. So this walking in the spirit is pretty, pretty important because it actually allows us to be who we are, manifest who we are and be free from the power of the flesh. So it's, it's really important. Very cool. Okay, so what is this? Let me share some thoughts first about how religion sees this. Because if the premise is wrong, saints, if the premise is wrong, the conclusion is wrong. If the premise is wrong, the conclusion is wrong. In other words, if you believe that three plus one equals five, that's your premise, that three plus one equals five. That premise is wrong. And say you put three apples and one apple in a basket, and you think that that basket now has five apples. That's your premise, because your premise is three plus one equals five. You take that basket and add it to a basket of two apples. Your conclusion is now I have seven apples. Your conclusion is wrong because your premise is wrong. No, you have six apples. Because you had four in the first basket, and when you add it to the two, you only have six. You don't have seven. So if your premise is wrong, your conclusion is wrong. 
Religion has the wrong premise. And when you have the wrong premise, your conclusion of how to walk in the Spirit will be wrong. The way religion teaches how to walk in the Spirit is wrong because the premise is off, way off. And the, and the way it got off was a trick of the enemy, a deception of the enemy many, many centuries ago. Okay, let's, let's look at this real quick. This is religion's premise. See if you recognize this teaching that's out there in the body of Christ widely right now. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, this is a real believer, born of the Spirit, must continually confess his or her sins on a daily basis as convicted by the Holy Spirit to continually be cleansed and forgiven in order to stay in fellowship with God. Is that not what we hear all the time? That's a premise of religion that is false. Hear this one. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, still has an evil heart, which God is working on to purify gradually, day by day, through the conviction of sin and repentance. Haven't we heard that all the time? And still hear it on radio, read it in books, on TV. Those two things are so wrong, so wrong. It's ridiculous. And when you see the truth, you go, oh my God. Haven't you had that feeling yet that, where you said, where have I been? Why haven't I heard this before? Why isn't everybody preaching this? That's because we've, we're coming out of a, a very dark time. A very muddled mixture of law and grace that is about to open up big time. Okay. If that's the premise, what I just read, I'm going to read it real, real quick one more time. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, must continually confess his or, her, his or her sins on a daily basis as convicted by the Holy Spirit to continually be cleansed and forgiven in order to stay in fellowship with God. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, has an evil heart, which God is working on to purify gradually day by day through the conviction of sin and repentance. Now, with that premise, this is religion's conclusion on how to walk in the Spirit. With that premise, that three plus one equals five, here's religion's premise, I mean, religion's conclusion on how to walk in the Spirit. Some call it spiritual breathing. It is the teaching that says a believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, is to exhale by confession of sin as the Spirit convicts of sin and inhale to receive forgiveness for sin all on a daily and even hourly basis in order to stay in fellowship with God. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, must make Jesus Lord of their life, not just Savior. And delayed obedience is disobedience. Well, isn't that nice? Good news, right? No, it's not good news. Like Bill shared a while back, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, about lordship, the lordship of Jesus. We can't make Jesus Lord of our life. He is Lord. God made him Lord. The Father made him Lord. But that's, that's, a whole, that's an awesome message that we need to really hear again about how we don't make him Lord. God made him Lord. And the Spirit of God in us causes us to, to grow and to walk in ways, the ways of God, but we don't make him Lord in our life. Okay. 
saints, the truth is, let me just read it real quick. The truth is this. A believer in Jesus, born of the Spirit, is one with Jesus. And as he is, so are they in this world now. The believer is holy, righteous, blameless, and a beloved son or daughter of God with a new heart, and sin is no longer counted against the awesome sons and daughters of God, for they enjoy continual fellowship, unbroken fellowship with God, their loving Father at all times and in all eternity. I got to read that again. <laughs> this is so cool what Jesus did. I mean, this is, this is why it's good news. This is why religion fought against this message because it was just so opposite what religion was, was teaching even in, in, uh, in their day in the book of Acts. The truth is this, saints, that a believer in Jesus who is born of the Spirit is one with Jesus. And as he is, so are they in this world now. The believer is holy, righteous, blameless, and a beloved son or daughter of God with a new heart. And sin is no longer counted against the awesome sons and daughters of God. Therefore, they enjoy unbroken fellowship with God their loving Father at all times and in all eternity. Woo! You see, saints, how that, how that teaching that you need to, and, and this, I didn't want to go into all this about 1 John 1, 9 today. That's a whole other message. But do you see how that teaching that you need to confess your sins or name your sins on a daily basis or hourly basis um, works against what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in showing us that we are one with Christ. You cannot grow in your awareness of your union with Jesus and your, and your oneness with Christ and at the same time feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin that needs to be cleansed. That's why the scripture says there, we're not under law but under grace. And where there is no law, there's no transgression. That's why Paul says sin is not imputed where there is no law. God has literally taken us out of this realm. We're no longer in the realm of law. We were in this realm, in the kingdom of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of the beloved son in the spirit. People that are still on earth who have not been born again, who have not been born from above, they're still from the earth, from below, are under law. We are no longer under the jurisdiction of the law. And though we still stumble in many ways, James says, and we still sin sometimes, it's really not the real you sinning, and the sin is not counted against you. That's the gospel. It's radical because it is God who did it. I'll tell you another thing that this is what God woke me up this morning and said, tell them this. And I almost didn't want to do it because I was like thinking that might, I don't know, I was thinking, you know, me, knowing better or something. And then God reminded me, no, tell them this. Okay, look at this. This is so cool. I'll tell you another thing that we have out there in teaching us that is, is messing up the body of Christ. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4. 
I mean, to me, it's just so, now it's so obvious. I mean, before it wasn't obvious, but the fact that we have a new heart, that we're a new creation, you know, God, like Clark teaches, I love Clark's teaching on how God doesn't live in a dirty house. I mean, he made the house pure so he could live in it. God doesn't live in a dirty house. He can't. It's impossible. He can't join himself to that which is, has any sin. In fact, I love what Clark says about he, he can't even join himself to anything that had a past of sin. You're a new creation with no past. That's awesome. God has joined himself to a new species, a new creation, which has no past, which is holy and blameless and and cannot sin, First John says. The seed of God abides within the new believer, and this, the new you cannot sin. That'll drive a religious person crazy. Just like, what, what do you mean? This is so cool. Okay, take a look at this, Hebrews 4. Okay, another thing that has kind of messed us up with regard to um, resting in our oneness with Christ is the teaching that says we are, we are saved in our spirit, we are being saved in our soul, and we will be saved in our body. It's, it's, a, it's a widespread teaching in the body of Christ that we, our spirit is saved, our soul is being saved or being worked on by God, and our body will be saved at the, at the redemption of the body, at the resurrection of the body. The scripture does not teach that. Do a search of every place in the New Testament where the word soul is mentioned. There's not that many. Do a search of every scripture where the word soul is mentioned. You will not find that teaching in the scripture. It's not there. The problem or the reason why we teach that in the church is because we have not seen the revelation of what the apostles talked about with regard to the power of sin that is in the mortal body. We still know we have problems. We still think evil thoughts. We still do evil things. So that must be my soul. But notice, saints, the scripture does not say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the soul. It says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, the apostles had the revelation that God did an amazing thing. He circumcised the body of the flesh. He removed the inner me, the invisible me, which is soul and spirit, soul and spirit from my body, so to speak. I am no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit, Romans 8 says. But he left the power of sin in our members, in our members, our brain, that every apostle taught this. But nobody, almost nobody, is teaching this. Instead of teaching what the apostles taught, that the power of sin is in our bodies, that's why Romans 8 says, the Spirit shall put to death the deeds of the body. Instead of teaching that like the apostles taught, we're teaching that sin is in the soul. It comes from Watchman Nee. It comes from that teaching. The spiritual man, Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. It's not the Scripture. The power, of the, the power of the Spirit has so circumcised you that you have literally, you, not just half of you, but you have been translated into the presence of God, joined to Him. This is awesome. This is something we've we got to get a hold of because this is awesome. That's why, 
That's why Paul said when you're absent from your body, instantly you will know all things as you are known. You will immediately have no hindrance. You will no longer see in part and prophesy in part through these brains absent from the body, present with the Lord. There is no scripture that says God's going to finish up what he's been working on in your soul before you enter the heavenly glory. There is none. And we know physical death does not add anything to the work of Christ. The body dying doesn't do anything. He just releases us to him. As for the body, present with the Lord. Saints, you, it's so true. You are as holy and as righteous as you'll ever be right now. It's awesome. That teaching that's in the body of Christ right now, that's widely taught by leaders, leaders in the body of Christ right now, that teaching says that the, the awesome work of Christ really took care of only one third of you. Does that sound like God? God who raises the dead and calls into being that which does not exist does not say, only a third of that is fixed. No. I'm telling you, saints, this is awesome. This, when the saints begin to see this, it will be so easy to see that you're really righteous. Because the revelation will break forth in our minds. Our minds will be renewed to this reality. Oh my God, he really did it. He really did it. I mean, we sing songs like we are saved. Oh, you, so, you saved my soul. You saved my soul. Okay, so we finish singing, then the teaching comes and goes, okay, we're saved in our spirit, but our soul is being saved. No, we just sang. We just sang, you saved my soul. See, Jesus had come to me, and you shall find rest for your souls. Hebrews says this revelation of what God did in Christ is an anchor for our soul. Paul says in Romans 7 that I will to do the right thing, but I find myself doing evil. I hate what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. I have knowledge of what I should do, but I can't pull it off. Who shall deliver me from what? The soul? No. From this body of death. He, as a new creation, willed to do the will of God because he had a new heart. He, as a new creation, hated what he was doing, Romans 7. He, in Romans 7, had knowledge of what he should do but couldn't pull it off because he said, every time I wanted to do good, I found out that evil was present in me, that is, in my flesh, not in the soul, Romans 7. Then, therefore, I learned that there's a power that when I would do good, the power of sin in my members warred against my mind and just knowledge of how I should live was not enough. Romans 7. So he moves to Romans 8 and he says, thank God I got the revelation. Thank God I got the revelation. It's not about, it's not about just having the knowledge of right and wrong in my mind. It's not about just having a passion to do the right thing. It's not about just having the willpower because that's not good enough. Because the power of sin in my mortal body, in my members, will take me captive every time, Paul says. Romans 7. Notice he's not talking about the soul at all. 
Spirit and soul is, is what you're made of. You're, you are a spirit and a soul. That's, that's you, who you are. That's the invisible you. So in Romans 8, Paul says, this is what I learned. That it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has set me free from the law of sin and death that works in my mortal body. What does that mean, the law of the spirit of life? Saints, think about, think about it like this. And God showed us this at the very beginning with the two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of right and wrong, and the tree of life. God showed to me this way. He said, think of the tree of life as you're in the hospital, you just had a heart attack, and you're on, you're on life support. And without the life support, without the, uh, the oxygen and whatever they do to keep the heart pumping, whatever they do that to, do to, to keep you alive, without that you would die. It's not a great example because... It's more glorious than that. But it really, it really rang true with me because what he was trying to tell me was that he was saying, son, my life in you is like that. It's your life support. Without me, you can do nothing. See my life in you as like, like in a hospital with all this stuff and if they just turned the switch and turned it off, you would die. See the life that is in you now as your only life support. Because what happens is when you see that, that reality that without him, I can do nothing. I mean, we can do stuff, but we can't do stuff of any eternal value. We can bear fruit that remains through his life. We can bear fruit that remains. When we do stuff, it's just wood, hay, and stubble, and there doesn't remain, doesn't do anything. We can do things, but it's not eternal, has no eternal value to it. So I can't do anything of eternal value without the Spirit bearing that fruit through me. So Paul realized that he could do nothing without the Spirit of God. And then he said he learned this. He said, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So he learned to stop looking for sin in the flesh. See, sin, the knowledge of sin is through the law, Paul says. I would not have known sin except the law. See, the law reveals sin. For what purpose? Not as religion teaches so that you can confess it and get forgiveness and get cleansed and get back right in fellowship with God. No. The law reveals sin, Paul says, so that sin might increase. So that it might get worse. What? Yes. The law is the strength of sin, Paul wrote. That's never preached. The law is the strength of sin, and it remains the strength of sin even after you become a believer. The law is the law. Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, it still stimulates the flesh, Romans 7 says. It stimulates the power of sin in the flesh because the law is not a faith. The law is not a faith. The law is you on your own trying to do, and that will always stimulate the power of sin in the flesh. So, so Paul is saying that my mind set on the flesh is death. It, it gives power. I mean, there's teaching in the church that says you should, you should search your heart for sin. That is so wrong. If there's no sin in my heart, what am I searching my new heart for sin for? And if there's no good thing in my flesh, why am I looking for something good in the flesh? You see, if the, 
The flesh, there's no good thing in your flesh, so don't be looking there for anything good because there's no good thing there. No good thing there. That's what he said. And that's not you anyway. I mean, that's not you anyway. So what are we, why are we digging up the dead body? No, you're not. Your old man has died. Why are we digging up the dead body? I mean, really, when you see this, it's so clear. The Holy Spirit is not digging up the dead body, pointing out the sins of the flesh, and then saying, okay, go through the ritual of confession and, so you can get cleansed and so God can come back and fellowship with you. Next time you blow it, God's leaving. Oh, God. God leave, God's coming back. Messed up again. Oh, God. God leaves again. That's not it. The Holy Spirit doesn't even recognize the flesh in the, in the sense of your identity. That's what I mean. The Holy Spirit doesn't recognize the flesh as you. Just like God didn't recognize Esau, he recognized Jacob. Jacob is the heir. Esau is a picture of the flesh. Jacob is a picture of the spiritual man, first the flesh, first the natural, then the spiritual. Jacob held his heel as he came through the womb. They're twins. They're twins, a picture of the new creation, the flesh and the spirit. They came holding his heel as one person, is a picture of one person being born. And so, Paul is saying here that the law is the very strength of sin. And if we, if we think we have to search our heart for sin, what confusion that is. See, the truth is you have a new heart, and when we find ourselves sinning, it really isn't your new heart. Your new heart cannot sin. We've been made a partaker of the divine nature. But there is a power of sin in the flesh, and that's why Paul says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He doesn't say the soul. Okay, let's look at this real quick. Okay, awesome. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's see. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. This whole chapter is so awesome about the rest. Chapter 8, I mean chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. This is what, real quick, this is David said in the verse right above it. He was referring to the rest of God. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, that if Joshua had brought them into the rest, if God was talking about the rest being the promised land of Israel, then David wouldn't be speaking later, many years later, about a rest to enter into. That's what he's saying here. Because David talks about a rest. There's, there's a rest to enter into. So the writer to the Hebrews says, so the, so the rest was not entering the promised land. That was a shadow, a picture of the true rest, which is Christ. And then he goes, look in verse 9. Therefore, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, let any, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience or unbelief. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to discern or judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Okay. Okay. 
Saints, we've had this verse used to say, see, there's the soul and spirit. The word of God divides soul and spirit. Have you ever noticed when they teach from this scripture, they never mention the bones and the marrow? That's just like, we don't know what that means. Bones and marrow, I don't know. No, look what he's saying here, saints. This is so awesome. He's saying here that the word of God, and the word of God here in this scripture is not talking about some general word of the Bible. It's talking about the word of rest, the word of the gospel. In this same chapter, it says, for the word of the gospel did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. They did not believe it. Because you have to believe the good news before it can profit you, right? Okay, so the word of God in this scripture is talking about this word of the finished work of Christ, the word of the gospel, okay? This, the word of the gospel is sharper than any two-edged sword. What the writer is saying here, saints, is that a, a two-edged sword in battle, the, the, the furthest a two-edged sword in battle can pierce to in the natural is through the body, through the joints, and into the very marrow of the bone. As far as you can go. The, the skeleton is your, the basic structure of the human being. The marrow, where blood is produced, where life is produced in the blood, life is in the blood, the marrow in the, in the bone is the most innermost part of your physical body. The skeleton being the, you know, when all the tissue goes off, you have the skeleton, and then you break through the bone, and you find marrow. That's the very, that's the farthest a sword can pierce in battle, a natural sword. What the writer is saying here, saints, he's coupling two things. He's saying bone and he's saying joints and marrow, joints and marrow, which speaks of the physical body, joints and marrow, and then he couples the invisible reality, soul and spirit. You see it? The sword is not in this scripture dividing between soul and spirit. The sword in this scripture is dividing between the visible and the invisible. It's dividing the word of God pierces sharper than any two-edged sword in the natural for it goes beyond the physical, beyond joints and marrow to the invisible person who is made of soul and spirit. The cutting of the gospel actually penetrates to the invisible person. That's why, saints, it's, he said, joints and marrow. Joints speak of motion, 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 manifestation of life. Marrow speaks of life, the origin of life. Soul speaks of motion, motion, the manifestation of the person. Spirit speaks of the origin of life. So the joints and the marrow is a picture of the soul and the spirit in the, individ- in the invisible. You see it? See, the, the sword is not cutting between soul and spirit in this verse. That's why they don't do anything with the bones, with the joints and marrow part of this verse. They don't understand it. They don't teach it because they don't know what that means. But I'm telling you what it means. It means that the spirit has got the word of God, the word of Christ is like a sharp sword that pierces beyond the physical, beyond joints and marrow to the invisible person. It is able to discern the, the thoughts, soul, and intense spirit of the person so that when the word of rest comes, if they are prideful or self-righteous, it reveals that pride. And they do not believe the gospel. That's what it means. Does that make sense? <laughs> See, it's so powerful. See, it, leave it to God to do the thing that exposes man's heart to be not a word of judgment, but a word of grace. You see, a word of grace. They took the baby Jesus and they said, 
For this one is destined for the rise and fall of many in Israel. And a sword shall pierce your own heart, Mary. This, this one is destined to bring the rise and fall of many. Fall of the, of the self-righteous and the rise of the poor in spirit. It's the word of grace. It's the word of rest that reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. For we have a high priest who knows everything, who, is, who, who we are naked before, who knows all things. That's why that verse says that. He sees the heart. So when the word of the gospel goes out, the word of grace, not the word of judgment, the word of grace. See, legalistic people love a word of judgment because they feel like, oh, yes, 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 I need to do better. I need to do better. And my, my neighbor needs this judgment word too. Yeah, my neighbor needs to hear this. Yeah. I, I'm pretty good. I'm not bad as he is. And I like this word of judgment because I, I think I can hold it. I can do this. But my neighbor really needs to hear this. He's in trouble. The word of judgment. Ah, but the word of grace comes. The word of grace comes and you're like the pride. That same person, that same prideful person goes, no, 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 it can't be that easy. You got to pay your dues. No, no, it can't be that easy. Thoughts and intents of the heart. And my neighbor certainly doesn't deserve any grace. No way. No way I'm going to believe a gospel like that and let my neighbor off. No way. Thoughts and intents of the heart revealed by the word of grace. But the poor in spirit say to the word of judgment, oh, woe is me. I can't make this. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can never do this. I can never do this. I'm distraught. I would never, I can never measure up. The prostitute. She shall enter my kingdom before you, Pharisee, Jesus said. You mean I'm forgiven? The word of grace goes forth. The thought and intents of the hearts are, 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 is revealed. And my neighbor can be forgiven too. Yes, yes, my neighbor too. God knows I need, I, I deserve judgment, but he showed me mercy. My neighbor needs mercy too. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Your word of grace is the sharp sword that reveals the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. Your word of grace not the word of judgment. And this word of rest divides between joints and marrow, the physical, and soul and spirit, the invisible, and brings that person either to a rejection of the Christ or an acceptance of the, acceptance of the Christ where that person, that individual, in, invisible person, becomes a new creation. Awesome. That's what the Spirit specifically said this morning to speak and share because this teaching about soul about the soul being worked on is working against what the spirit of god is trying to do in us so just wrapping this up there's so much of course you can say about walking in the spirit there's so much more i want to say but we'll save it for another time If I had to say one word, how this looks like, you know, how, this, how does this look like when we're walking in the Spirit, I would say it looks like His love. For love fulfills all law. Love is who God is. When we walk in the Spirit, when we realize we live in another world, saints, we are people, a people of two worlds. Embrace that. Just like Jesus. Jesus was a man of two worlds. He was from above, but he walked on the earth. You who have been born of the Spirit are no longer from below, but from above. You're no longer from the Adamic race, but from, from Christ himself, the last Adam, the Scripture says. You've been born from above, but you're sitting in these chairs, in this earth, 
a person of two worlds. Jesus showed us how to walk in this world as, as a person from two worlds. He goes, when they couldn't understand what he was saying, he said, and what if I should ascend back up into the heavens? Would that help? If I ascended in your, before your eyes, if the Son of Man ascended back into the heavens, would that help you understand that I am in heaven as I walk the earth? Awesome. That's who you are, seated together with them in heavenly places. You truly are complete in him. We are complete in him. And the power of sin in our mortal bodies is not us. And when we escape this body, it would be like taking off a fur coat in the summertime. Ah, yes. You will know all things as you were known. Instantly. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord with exceeding joy. Blameless. Awesome. People take the words of Paul in the last parts of his letter where he describes what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. They take those words where he describes what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and they make those descriptions commandments to keep. And they miss the invisible reality that Paul is trying to convey because they don't read the first part of the letter with revelation. So his, the last part of his letter that talks a lot about behavior becomes law to people a commandment to keep as opposed to a fruit to be manifested through life, through his life. This is so cool. God is so wise. The only wise king. Our king gave himself for us that he might live through us. But more than that, our king gave himself for us so that he might be with you, with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be with him. He, pre he prepared a place for us that where he is, we may be also. He did it. He did it. Call unto me, the Lord said, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. The church needs to hear this. The church needs to call upon him. The church needs to get free of this religious thinking church needs to see you shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free we are a people of two worlds Lord we just thank you for being here with us and in us thanks for this this time together. Lord, I pray that everyone here, everyone by the sound of my voice, would receive your words.
we eat of your flesh and we drink of your blood, we remember that we are forgiven. You are the true manna that we eat every day. We lay our head on your chest as John did in the storms of life. We lay our head on your chest. You are with us always, even until the end of the world. We eat and drink of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.